Welcome to sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Rev. Dr. Matthew Richard. Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, Gave praise to God. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. During the time of Jesus, if you were born, yes, if you were born with some sort of physical handicap, or perhaps maybe later on in life you contracted some sort of incurable disease such as maybe leprosy, well, there would have been a very high chance, yeah, a very high chance you would have ended up on the streets as a beggar, yes, as a beggar. Now, the word beggar is quite interesting, that word beggar itself, it is very interesting. It's a word that, get this, it's a word that means to crouch. It's a word that means to cringe. Beggars, they crouched at busy roads. Beggars, they crouched indeed before other people. They, they, they cringed with their shrunken voices and their demeanor and their body while pleading for mercy. Yes, pleading for mercy, and namely in the form of begging for money. They did this because there was no medicine to cure them of their illnesses, and there was no social welfare system during that day and age. They constantly experienced misery, and so they constantly begged. They constantly cried for help. And the people that passed by these beggars, the people that came by them and saw them on the street, crouched and, yes, cringing and looking for mercy, desiring mercy. Well, some of these people that would pass by them, they would help them. But the reason why they helped was often to chalk up a good work. You know what I'm talking about. To chalk up a good deed for the day. 
I imagine that the majority of the people that helped these beggars were sure to tell everyone around them, sure to tell everyone around them about how good their deeds were, just like we all post our good works on social media for others to see. For them to help a beggar, well, it was a virtue signal. Look at how good I am. Oh, look at how good I am. Snap, selfie. But besides all of this, the general perception the general perception of a beggar was that they were socially powerless and even an intrusion into people's everyday lives. They were a nuisance. They were like a parasite, if you will. They were nobodies. Many people did not want to see them or hear them. And so that day, when the blind man cried out to Jesus, as we heard in our reading from this morning from the Gospel of Luke, that day, when that blind man cried out to Jesus, the crowd around Jesus, they... Yes, they rebuked him. They rebuked the beggar. They rebuked the beggar with a threatening scold. Now, perhaps it's not picked up in our reading from today, but it is a word that happened when they rebuked him. It it occurred not just one time, one small rebuke. It was a rebuke with ongoing rebukes that continued and perhaps even amplified. The crowd was certainly not gentle with this blind beggar, but they were ruthless They were mean. I'm sure that their language was not clean either, but disgusting, and their tone was most certainly harsh to this beggar. But why be so harsh? Why the stern rebuke? Now, we do not know completely for sure, but if I were to guess, knowing what we know about the human nature that we all have, and knowing what we know about our sinful hearts and how they act, Well, that crowd most likely did not want to be bothered by misery. Hear that carefully. They did not want to be bothered by misery. You see, dear friends, we like comfort. You and I, all of us, we like having our comfort. We like being free from the knowledge of suffering. We like being free from the knowledge of our mortality. We like being free from the knowledge of evil in the world. And so we create predictable lives. Comfortable living conditions, we develop routines. Routines where we avoid the reality of suffering, where we avoid the reality of death and evil itself. We actually sanitize. We sanitize our lives from misery the best that we can. This is especially true for us in our younger years when we are free from the struggles of failing health. And it is especially true for us here in America. We indeed like to sanitize our lives from misery. But then there are those times when misery breaks out, when misery becomes uncontrollable, when misery and suffering and death and evil, they break out and they come and they intrude and they inconvenience our lives. And when this happens, well, we do everything possible to put misery and suffering and death and evil back into their boxes so that we can return to our comfortable lives. In fact, like that crowd that we heard about, that crowd that rebuked the blind man, that blind beggar, well, we actually get angry ourselves. We become frustrated. We become agitated. We get agitated with the very fact that misery impedes on us. You see, miserable people, they bother us. They ruin our comfortable bubbles. So we avoid miserable people and their misery at all costs. It's just better that way. Now, whether it is a 30-second ad on TV asking us to donate towards starving children, or perhaps if it is a sad funeral that we don't want to attend, 
or a tough visit to a dying person in the nursing home, or news of a war in Eastern Europe, or the threats of COVID-19, or so on and on and on and on. Whatever it is, pick your poison. Well, it's all overwhelming to us. We don't like the misery. And so we fight. We fight to expel that misery. We expel that misery from our lives because we frankly get upset, we become overwhelmed, and we become exhausted with that misery that indeed encroaches on us. We fight to get it out of our sight, out of our minds. And in so doing, we often hurt those around us. You see, this is how it works, because comfort itself becomes our end goal. Comfort is right here and is our end goal. Misery over here is that which threatens us. We want to get to comfort. We have misery that comes and encroaches and gets between us and comfort. And so then we stomp on those around us to get to that goal of comfort at all costs. As one person from out of town recently shared with me, they said this, quote, I don't care what you think, Pastor, and I don't, want, I don't really care what happens. And I don't care what happens to anyone else. I just want my life to be back to normal. I just don't care. I want it back to normal. You see, there's a catch, though, to all of this. And that is this. There's no such thing as a normal life without misery. You see, you and I are never free from misery in this life, no matter how hard we try. Even when we close our eyes and ears and perhaps even click those heels with those golden red shoes and say there's no place like home, there's no place like home, blocking that misery out, even when we do that, there's no escaping it. Suffering and misery and death and evil, they're around us at all times, as much as we pretend that they're not. Sure, we might yell at misery as they yelled at that blind man, and we may try to turn our eyes the other way to avoid the sight of misery itself, but these, my friends, are all smoke and mirror tactics. They just simply don't work. They're ways in which we put our head in the sand. Furthermore, consider our confession of sin from this morning's church service. You and I, we stood here on this floor together, shoulder to shoulder, and we said these words. In fact, we say them every Sunday. I, a poor, miserable sinner. Yes, I, a poor, miserable sinner. And so are we not acknowledging in this church that we are not only impacted by misery itself, but the misery itself is something that we embody? In other words, are we not the same predicament, in the same predicament as blind Bartimaeus in our text here from this morning on that road that day? Sure, you and I might not be blind, but aren't we just as miserable as he was in that first century? Dear friends, the great myth there's a great myth in our modern day and age, and that is this. It's a myth that says to us that mankind is supposedly not in need. The myth that you are told is that you are not in need. The myth that you are told, the great myth that you are told and sold is that you are special, that we are special, that we're good, that we're whole, that we're safe, that we're okay. But we're not. We're not. We're in need. We need to depend on the goodness of another. We need pity. We need mercy. I need mercy. Boy, do I ever need mercy. We need pity. We need mercy. We need the goodness of another. We need compassion. For we are poor, miserable sinners. But be careful, my friends. 
Yes, be careful, my friends, when you say this too loud. <laughs> be very careful. It will make people angry. We have seen what happens when a person cries out for mercy. They get rebuked, as we heard this morning. In other words, if you cry out too loudly about your misery of sin, well, it ruins the great myth that we're okay. If you cry out that we are mortal, that we die, well, people will get upset because they like to pretend that they will live forever. When you confess the evil in your heart, be ready to be yelled at and scorned, for such a confession ruins the world's games of pretend righteousness. Remember, my friends, the world does not like misery to be too loud and too inconvenient. Misery causes discomfort. It bursts bubbles. So if all of this is true, what do we do with our misery of sin? Where do we go from here? I mean, if, if all of this is true, which it is, what, what do we do with this? What do we, what do, we do with this misery that we have? Do we, do we stuff it deep down within, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just keep on clugging along? Where do we go from here? How do we handle this? It's actually quite simple. We don't cry for mercy to the world. <laughs> Number one, we don't cry for mercy to the world, for the world does not know how to give us compassion the world does not have compassion on miserable sinners. The only thing that the world will do is yell at us. Besides, the world is too busy with smoke and mirrors to really care about you. And so instead, number two, it's quite simple, baptized saints, we cry out for mercy to Christ and Christ alone. But perhaps Christ may not be so kind to hear all of our cries of mercy that may go through our mind, in the back of our mind. Maybe we become hesitant. Maybe he won't have compassion on you and me. Consider Psalm 51 for a moment. Psalm 51 says this. The psalmist in Psalm 51 says this. He says that our Lord will not despise, get this, he will not despise a broken spirit and a contrite heart. In other words, when you and I lay down our crushed and our destroyed and our hurt and our crippled spirit before the Lord, when we cast Yes, when we cast our broken and collapsed and torn down hearts before the Christ, well, our Jesus does not see these things as vile. He does not see them as a vile or worthless sacrifice. Instead, your Lord Jesus Christ, he stands still long enough to hear your cry, and then he answers your misery with his good and his gracious will. He has compassion. He has compassion, he has mercy on you. You see, that day on the roadside, Christ, he heard the blind man's cry for mercy amid the rebuking crowd, and that very same Christ, he hears your cry for mercy within the shouting rebukes of the world. Christ, he gives to you and me what we do not deserve. And unlike the world, he gives us mercy. He gives us compassion. He sees us in our miserable state of sin, and instead of disgust or a rebuke, his grace, his mercy, meets our misery with kindness. Christ, he holds out to you this day his free, his unmerited, and his compassionate grace, his forgiveness of all of your sins. Forgiveness and grace that you receive by faith, and faith alone, all a sheer gift. And so baptized saints, Christ gives compassion because 
He is compassionate. He gives mercy because he is merciful. He gives forgiveness to you. He gives life to you. He gives salvation to you this day as a gift, no strings attached to receive, to be received by faith. And so do not listen to the rebukes of the world. Do not shy away from crying out for mercy. Do not hold that misery within, but cry out to Christ. And do not stop crying for mercy, for the Lord never stops having mercy on you. He longs to be merciful to you with his boundless mercy. And so the cry of the church is this, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. And the good news of the gospel today is that he does. He does have mercy on you and me. In the name of Jesus, the one who is boundless in mercy for you. Amen. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormattrichard.org or visit St. Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org. The Lord bless and keep you.